0: Hello and welcome to 7 Minute Explainers. I'm Harry Kazianis, a writer at The Week, and today I'd like to explain what a preemptive strike on North Korea would actually look like. Over the past 18 months, North Korea has conducted two unlawful nuclear tests and an unprecedented number of ballistic missile tests. Tensions in Asia are on the rise, and when Vice President Mike Pence traveled to the demilitarized zone recently, he didn't mince words about North Korea's growing aggression the era of strategic patience is over. It seems the Trump administration is ready to take the toughest of lines when it comes to dealing with the hermit kingdom. And this policy is nothing short of apocalyptic. To really appreciate its ramifications, let's game out what such ideas would look like in practice. Let us assume in the near future that Washington decides to push China hard into somehow solving the North Korea issue. Beijing does cut back some food and fuel aid and, to its credit, ends all direct and indirect aid to Pyongyang's various military programs. North Korea's nuclear and missile programs don't end outright, but the program is slowed dramatically. But the Trump administration is not satisfied. It threatens China and declares that it must do more. But Beijing does not want to precipitate the possible downfall of the Kim dynasty. They fear Washington's wrath, sure, but they're much more worried about millions of hungry North Koreans trying to seek refuge in China, as well as potentially loose nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons. On top of which, Beijing worries about the possibility of Seoul uniting the Korean Peninsula under its control and continuing its military alliance with the U.S. In the end, China decides to take its chances with America. Washington is now faced with a dilemma. They have made substantial progress on curtailing the speed in which Pyongyang can pair a nuclear warhead with a long-range missile. But the threat does remain. So the Trump administration leaks to the press that it is considering military action. It begins to move its best military assets into the region. President Trump orders B-2 bombers at the ready, with the ability to evade radar and drop large, bunker-busting bombs on North Korean nuclear facilities. But North Korea is not to be deterred. It declares to the world that if the Trump administration decides to attack, Pyongyang will unload its full arsenal on South Korea and Japan. And considering North Korea's large military, thousands of artillery pieces, rocket launchers, more than 4,000 tanks, a million men under arms, hundreds of thousands of special forces, and a dangerous cyber warfare capability is a threat that can't exactly be taken lightly. But Trump presses ahead. After moving three aircraft carrier battle groups into the region and sending additional bombers and fighters to South Korea, Japan, and Guam, the administration warns North Korea that, quote, it must decide whether it wants peace or war. Then Trump goes on Twitter declaring, I hope Kim makes the right choice. Kim Jong-un, North Korea's third dynastic dictator, decides not to budge. He knows that if he gives up his nukes, he has no leverage with America. And even worse, North Korea's political elites will see him as weak. He makes the only choice he can and hopes Trump is bluffing. Unfortunately for Kim and Asia, war is now inevitable. Trump orders a massive assault on North Korea's nuclear weapons and missile programs. Washington launches a shock and awe campaign on steroids. Over 1,000 cruise missiles in the first few hours alone B-2 bombers flying around the clock from bases in Missouri, and stealth F-22 Raptors leading the way. The assault itself, according to every metric conceivable, is a success. North Korea's nuclear and missile programs are set back a decade or more, with most of Kim's nuclear weapons and missile launchers destroyed. Republicans and Democrats alike applaud President Trump's bold actions, acting when leaders of the past decided to do nothing There is, however, a catch to what seems like a resounding military success. The Kim regime's nuclear deterrent was not completely destroyed. One weapon, buried deep underground, survived the attack. And since North Korea's chemical and biological weapons were largely hidden underground as well, Kim has a terrible choice to make. Use the weapons he has now or lose them and a potential second wave of strikes. He decides to use his full arsenal before it's too late. Kim orders a nuclear strike on Seoul. While the missile lands four miles outside of the city, thanks to a targeting error, millions of people are instantly killed with millions more poisoned by radioactive fallout. In a sheer panic, the millions of people who survived the attack rush south, creating a massive humanitarian crisis of the worst magnitude. From here, things get even worse. Kim launches dozens of chemical and biological weapons at South Korea and Japan. Sarin, VX, and other toxins are lobbed at Tokyo, Pusan, and other large cities. Millions of people try to flee the impacted areas, just as in Seoul, creating a panic not seen since World War II. In just a few hours, hell is unleashed on the Korean peninsula, and the United States and its allies are at war with North Korea. What I've described is far from what could be the most extreme of examples of a second Korean war. And though the allies would win, the damage the Kim regime could do in a military confrontation are profound. Indeed, the price of such a victory could be millions of people dead and large sections of Korea rendered uninhabitable for decades, if not longer. And that does it for this episode of 7 Minute Explainers. You can find new episodes of this podcast every Thursday on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As a thank you for listening, we'd like to offer you four totally free non-commitment issues of The Week magazine. To get those, visit theweek.com for free. I'm Harry Kazianis, and thanks so much for listening.